and people have been again since the beginning of this whole abusive covid era people have been tricked and coerced and lured into betraying themselves to the extent where i think a lot of people it's it's very hard to go back and say oh and by the way i was completely wrong and and also did things that were not right that that gives a great emotional relief in the end because if somebody has the balls to go through that if somebody really has the spirit to go through that then in the end it's like a pure it's like a cleanse in a good way but it takes courage to allow those two parts of you talk to each other and and so many people are almost now in the position to keep doubling down and defending the things just because they either admit that they did something very wrong or they have to create an illusional world where it was not wrong and so people choose differently it seems like that if you've made a really bad mistake and someone was harmed that it's even harder to admit that mistake than if you just made a an ordinary mistake that someone wasn't harmed you become invested in like oh i couldn't have done something so wrong therefore it can't be true i think this happens in people hello and welcome to make language great again today it is my great joy and pleasure to welcome uh, dr john day who is a hero doctor of our times uh welcome john <laughs> oh thank you well that that very kind words what i'll say is that hero doctor doesn't pay much but um i i'm always grateful when people appreciate what i've been trying to do of course uh i really admire well your your, your whole take on the past 2 years and your courage with which you treated it i i i do admire it from my heart but uh do you want to uh, first talk about your background a little bit for the for the listeners and what you were doing before covid your the meaning of life also <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm I'm a family doctor and I've always I've always pretty much practiced in public health though in a lot of different settings. I've been a doctor since 1986, a lot of that in Texas, but I've I've also practiced in rural Hawaii. I've been a doctor on the Navajo reservation for a couple of years. Um I've I worked actually in inpatient psychiatry for a total of 3 years and uh well it was really it was four um in the state hospital system of Texas and i used to do um obstetrics and deliveries and c-sections and supervise family medicine residents and the provision of prenatal care and the deliveries and making sure that everything was was going okay and i never lost a mother and that's actually really important um but So I I've done a lot of things in family medicine but I've always liked public health of uh, I don't know it just I've not been motivated by money more by enjoying taking care of people feeling good about that and so when covid came around I was actually aware of it by mid December of 2019 and I had been you know paying attention to the internet and there was something going on in China that the authorities didn't want to talk about so I was very interested because I've I've been worried about you know pandemics spreading in the world these days how would you stop something like that 
Um, and from the, the Chinese government announced in the middle of February of 2020 that um, chloroquine was effective against this new coronavirus. And well, by later that month, maybe a week later, they said hydroxychloroquine too, which is more available. And so at my clinic, um, a public health clinic in Austin, Texas, um, I started to work to get us some hydroxychloroquine and the clinic did obtain some. And I was giving out vitamin D to clinic staff and worker, you know, workers, patients. So I gave out, oh, 40,000 doses of <laughs> bottles of 5,000 unit vitamin D to people that year because it supports the immune system. I mean, this is really basic. We, and what we saw with the first round of the COVID was that dark-skinned people in northern climates who get the least vitamin D were having some very bad outcomes. And so I was doing everything that I could and then by the beginning of April, that hydroxychloroquine that the clinic had bought became like something that nobody could touch for, for political reasons. The, the U.S. government decided to completely push for vaccines and to sort of suppress really any kind of treatment that might work. We knew from the late 1990s, the zinc was effective against coronavirus. That's why they would say so long, oh, if you have a cold, take zinc lozenges, because a fifth of colds are from coronavirus, and the zinc would help. So I was working with vitamin D, zinc, hydroxychloroquine. As soon as we started seeing patients, I started treating, but then the politics made it very difficult to treat people with that, and I was literally forbidden by the medical director to use it, even if I had got an EKG on the person um, by um, like around August of 2020. But at that time, um, the first really good clinical study came out of Bangladesh about the ivermectin. And this was Dr. Barodi's protocol. And he's the famous Australian doctor who discovered that ulcers are caused by Helicobacter pylori and that there's a way to actually treat the ulcers and get rid of them forever. And so Dr. Barodi's protocol, of course, used vitamin D, but it used ivermectin, zinc, and doxycycline. And these are three very ordinary medicines. And um, so I was able to do that without getting an EKG and it wasn't political yet. So I was literally able to prescribe ivermectin, zinc, doxycycline, always vitamin D, for over a year, and I felt very good about that. I remember the, the very first couple, they were older, um, overweight, diabetic, hypertensive, so people who are at high risk of being hospitalized or dying from coronavirus, and they had been sick fairly long, and the man was, was getting worse, and I got prescribed them the, I actually had bought a bunch of zinc to be able to give to people because it was hard to find in the stores. I gave them the zinc, I gave them the vitamin D. Um, I prescribed the ivermectin and the doxycycline. And um, Nurse Virginia 
the nurse who most worked with me called them first thing the next morning. And I was so grateful to hear that, you know, she said, oh, yes, we're, we're feeling better. That was what they said. They, we're feeling better this morning. So that was our, our first word. Wow. I mean, and, and it, it's very hard to ask a technical question after after this story of yours. But you were mentioning AKG because the claim for hydroxychloroquine was that it caused cause heart problems, and that's why it was necessary to uh, check the AKG. Right, because even though people have been prescribed hydroxychloroquine for many decades, it's a very standard medicine for autoimmune disease like rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. Um, the the issue started to be raised in like oh late April or early May of 2020. Oh, it can cause um, cardiac arrhythmias in people with long QT syndrome, and so you have to get suddenly it was like oh you have to have an EKG on everybody, um, and so it was difficult to do that. It was difficult to get an EKG on someone with with COVID, particularly in those days. Um, because everyone, of course, was very scared. You'll remember, everyone was very scared. Um, but another problem came up after that is that it became hard to get a test result. So at first there were very few tests and they said, oh, only test the sickest people. Um, and then later the the tests were taking so long to come back. So with the hydroxychloroquine, it works against viral reproduction. And so in the early stage of the virus, like the two days before you feel sick, and then the first five days of feeling sick, the virus is replicating rapidly. And so really that's the time that you need to take the hydroxychloroquine, but we couldn't get a test result back on anybody in time. So that was another thing that by August and September of 2020, it was very nice to be able to use the ivermectin, zinc, um, and uh, doxycycline because there wasn't this pressure. And if someone had very typical symptoms, these medicines were very safe and we could go ahead and start them right away based on symptoms and await the test result without, you know, political problems. Oh, that is that is such a. I mean, I know I know about all that in general terms, but just hearing it from you as you were in the trenches trying to trying to actually help people against the disease that supposedly it is such a deadly disease, so we all should be afraid. At the same time, you were treating it successfully. It was hard to do that. I mean, like it's it is such a oh, well, really. Well, I, I don't want to, to to use the swear words, but it's a mind mess. It is it is really, 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 really bizarre. And and it was difficult because this clinic began in 1970 as a free clinic, and then over the years it had by 2016 it had become a federally qualified health center. So there was a lot of federal oversight. But I had been with the clinic a total of 18 years. Um, so I had a very long history there and I, I still saw it really the old way, you know, <laughs> and actually when I was in college in the seventies, some of my friends went to that 
clinic and they were proud to go to that clinic. And um, so there were these different problems with the politics and the clinic, like no one else in the clinic. So I think there was something like 35 providers. I, I worked out the first adult testing clinic and the first pediatric testing clinic on a, a day I worked extra. And I was the only one treating though. And they wouldn't even, the nurses were supportive because they knew the patients were getting better, but the clinic wouldn't let people be directed to me for treatment. It was just the patients that I would see. And sometimes the nurses, you know, would, would let me know, but officially the clinic knew nothing. They just weren't doing it. But I had already said like by, March of 2020, I told everyone in the clinic at the last meeting that we had that anyone who got sick with this, I would write them a prescription myself, and and I did. And so, but what were they? What were they? <clears throat> so, if somebody came uh, to the clinic, not to you, to another provider with COVID, would they do nothing? They said there's no treatment. Sorry, good luck. Um, well, basically, though, there were a few providers that were advising them to take zinc. Um, and I was giving vitamin D to everyone in the clinic from a very early time and advocating it really strongly. So the clinic, you know, it became sort of part of the culture to advise vitamin D. But if you haven't been taking it, you really need to take a lot at once to start to get your blood level up while you're sick. And it doesn't happen right away. It takes a few days, even if you take a whole lot, to get the blood level up. But the immune system, each white blood cell in the immune system is covered with vitamin D receptors. And unless there's a vitamin D in those receptors, it can't work right. So it's really important for, you know, really for anything that your immune system does. But we certainly discovered how important it was for coronavirus there were lots of studies testing vitamin D as a treatment and the ones that got the levels up quickly, particularly by giving the already bioavailable form of vitamin D, the calcifidiol, they did very well. I mean, it was clearly an effective treatment if you could get someone's vitamin D level up and low vitamin D was a big risk. They determined that in studies. Oh, it is it is amazing. And and by the way, what is your take? Uh, I was just thinking about it the other day, vitamin D and vitamin K, because some people say it's necessary to take them together. Some people say that it's not. What what is your individual take? And but just for the record, this is not medical advice. This is this is we're talking. Just well, right. yeah, yeah, this is this is right. general and useful information. So there's a the standard vitamin K that is very much involved in helping the blood clot. And some blood thinners that people take um, are reversed by the standard vitamin K. But the vitamin K2 um, seems to have beneficial effects together with vitamin D, particularly for the heart and the blood vessels. And so vitamin K2 is different from the regular vitamin K, and it consists of numerous different sizes of molecules. So if you think of those little beads that children put together, mm -hmm. the, the vitamin K2 is consisting of like two or three or four or five or six or seven pieces of the basic building unit put together. So that's a little confusing, 
but just the longer strings of it last longer. But it does seem to be beneficial for the heart and the circulatory system, specifically with vitamin D. And vitamin D is very beneficial to the blood vessel linings because it helps prevent inflammation there. So the two together are very good. And so I've been taking those for whatever long time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Well, and so then back to the story. So you were treating patients with COVID and and you uh, had a high success rate, if I understand correctly. Um, I, everybody that I treated got better. There were almost nobody went to the hospital. There were a couple of people that I treated relatively late, like after seven or eight days when they're going into the second week, the bad week, mm-hmm. that would be in the hospital the very next day. Um, but most people felt better the morning after starting the ivermectin, zinc, and doxycycline, and of course with vitamin D. It is stunning. This is in the entire past two, two and a half years, in the entire two and a half years since the beginning of the COVID era, all the many, many atrocities that have happened and many atrocities that I feel uh, not so good about, but the one where people were deprived of treatment while at the same time the television was saying go hide under the bed be afraid don't touch your grandma don't touch your kids for some reason that one is really maddening to me the most it's so dehumanizing it's so dehumanizing not being able to to be with the people you love when they're sick and dying which is your heart calls out for now i know but and and then depriving patients of the medicines that work that doctors like you have have been using successfully and then going after the doctors and depriving the people of things that could save their lives and then complaining that everybody's dying or it's so bad while people were effectively medically murdered in hospitals like to me it is just it makes my blood boil which is just so wrong from every existential and practical and spiritual and from every standpoint and medical like it is so unethical well yeah and so i think that we have to look at it you know it was really hard for me to see because i was so frustrated that i just couldn't get these things that were working to be accepted but now having all of this other time to look back on it i i realized that in multiple ways it was intentional there was all of this work these specific mRNA and DNA viral vector vaccines were created ahead of time. They were, and there were agreements made that this would be the only policy. By U.S. government policy, they can only do an emergency use authorization on a, a new vaccine if there is no other safe and effective treatment. So they, once they decided to do this, they said, well, we have to deny that there's any other safe and effective treatment. So they they kept denying that. Um, but that is so dark. That is just so, like, on the level of mass murder. On the level of mass murder, it is so bad. But you and I, we connect from our hearts and our feelings in a human way. But there, this process seems to have been done just in the abstract 
just as a business model. These are abstractions for our business model will do this. Um, of course, one has to wonder, was it worse than that? Did they, are they intending to get rid of a lot of people? They say there's too many people, you know, but I can't answer that. I, I have no, <laughs> I don't go to those meetings. Well, good, good for you. That is probably uh -huh. good luck on your part. <laughs> but so, so back to the back, back in time. So you're treating COVID patients successfully. Nobody else is really doing much besides you in the clinic. And then how did it develop from there? Well, as you'll recall, in the, the summer of 2021, they started to do the same thing with ivermectin that they had done with the hydroxychloroquine, which was to disparage it in the, the news and uh, say, oh, that's horse dewormer, you're not a horse. And um, even though it's one of the safest medicines in the world, it's, you know, even an overdose, the amount that you have to take of this to have something like a 30% chance of dying is not the amount for a horse. It's the amount for a herd of horses, like 50 horses. It's staggeringly high amount, and you can't even get a 50% death rate if you take that much. It's a staggeringly non-toxic medicine ever mentioned. <laughs> um, but they just, they just disparaged it. And um, so in something like September of 2021, I was also forbidden by the medical director of the clinic to prescribe that. I was still, I still had zinc that I would count out and give to people. Um, I was giving out, I could prescribe the doxycycline with that, which has some special things it does with coronavirus. It's an anti-inflammatory, it's a macrolide molecule. It's a very interesting molecule. And I would of course give people the vitamin D and it turns out that if you take zinc together with quercetin, which helps the zinc get into the cells where it fights the virus, and then lecithin, which helps your body absorb the quercetin from the stomach. So the zinc, quercetin, and lecithin three times a day is actually quite a potent combination too. So I didn't stop, and I knew that I was going to be fired. Oh, I'm sorry. What was the third one? Oh, um. Uh, the zinc, quercetin, and lecithin. Ah, oh, lecithin, okay. Lecithin, which just helps. So it's an emulsifier, and it helps your stomach absorb the quercetin. And then the quercetin gets into your bloodstream, and it helps the cells absorb the zinc. So it raises the zinc in the blood, in the, inside the cells. And a higher zinc inside the cells blocks the viral replication. So that's... And that's the zinc blocking the coronavirus replication that's been known since the 1990s. Um, oh, I think it was December 23rd on my old blog, December 23rd of 2021, that I posted over-the-counter RXs, uh, you know, over-the-counter COVID RXs for Omicron. And so it really gives a lot of history of all of the different things that a person could take that have been shown to work over the counter. And there's actually a lot of them. Um, it, as time went on, we learned more and more about things that inhibit this virus and help people do better. 
And well, you're getting will... your work. And so, so you were continuing to do that even though you were not able to prescribe, say, hydroxy or, or ivermectin. And then uh, what was the official? So when the director, what exactly is that title? Well, yeah, the medical director, and he's a good man I've known for many years and uh, respect him. But, you know, once things start coming down, 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 down from above, from high above, you know, from Washington, and everybody has to comply, 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 everything becomes now about compliance, not doing the best for the patient. And you just have to turn your eyes away. But... But it what were they great. saying? So you, they're saying, okay, so uh, Dr. Day, you cannot prescribe this because... Just not even for a reason, just can't. But if you, I mean, I assume you tried to tell them that, but it worked and the patients... Oh, oh I know. Better, so. and, and that was, they'd known that because I'd kept everybody up on the success and the information from the beginning. And um, in fact... The, who was the director of adult medicine um, before he left. So not the, the medical director of the clinic, but the director of adult medicine went to take a position in the, the current federal administration as a medical director of a large agency. And he was, he was aware and he had told me by um, like mid 20. 21 no no sorry mid fall of 2020 that he um he had, he thought that i might be on to something with this ivermectin well i had already been treating people to good success with it for three months so i was sort of like i didn't call him a name or anything we said yes and he talked to the nurses and they were saying yes everyone's saying they're better the next day so the but the, it was difficult information because in order to to keep your job and position you, you have to pretend you don't know it or you have to not know it what i'll say is that since i was fired about a year ago um, for not accepting a covid vaccine the the medical director who'd been a medical director oh since something like 1999 he has resigned as medical director, and I hope he's doing well because he's a good person. But I just, I, I always wondered, you know, we all always wondered, how could the Germans have done what they, they did? And now we see it everywhere. Aye, aye, aye. And so how did, so then the other part of the saga, the mandates and the fact that they had to fight, well, they had to, they didn't have to. The fact that you had to no longer have your job because they didn't want to take the thing. So, right. so um, there was a sort of a, a kink in that because I was supposed to be fired for refusal of taking the vaccine um, like November 1st. And um, then in mid-October, oh, something like, October 11th, the governor of Texas said, well, you can't have vaccine mandates in Texas anymore. And so two days after that, I think it was October 13th, um, I got a letter saying that I would, 
uh, was now being fired for causes and they listed some things. So that August, this is mid-October and in August I'd been given the maximum merit pay increase and a nice letter with it. And then by mid-October I was very bad and had to be fired. <laughs> what did they, I mean, what did they list? So in August you're a wonderful doctor and you're praiseworthy and then what has, what did they cite? It's well, interesting. It's interesting that some of the things that you would think the wording would mean something, but actually it meant something else. So they said, like blurring of um, professional uh, lines. What does that mean by blurring of professional relationship lines? Well, what it meant was that there was a patient who was homebound in a wheelchair and with oxygen, who um, she had had identity theft, and then with the people who came to, to help her at her house, somebody somewhere had taken her, her identification, not a driver's license, but like a, a driver's license. And there was no way for her to go to the Department of Motor Vehicles and get another one. So on one of my days off, I, I was her doctor, I, I went over and I took her to the Department of Motor Vehicles, and it, it didn't go badly. It, took maybe a couple hours total, and she was able to get that, which was a great benefit to her. But they called that a, a blurring of, you know, doctor-patient relationship lines. It sounded as though I was, you know, maybe having a sexual relationship with someone, but that... This is insane! I mean, so you helped out a person out of the goodness of your own heart on your own time, and that was... That was a crime. Well, and I think it was because there's a social work group there at that clinic, and they were frustrated by this patient, and they did not do home visits. Everyone had to come to the clinic, which she almost never, never could do, and she she had no transportation or anything. It was very difficult, and they they became upset at me about. Well, well, I mean, like, oh, wait, why were they frustrated with her? Because she wouldn't come because she's in a wheelchair? Well, and also she had a frustrating personality. Uh-huh. There are people like that. You may have met some. Well, <laughs> yeah. She had a very difficult childhood, and I don't want to go into it. Right, more. right, right, right. No, 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 yeah, yeah. So, but they were, bottom line, you helped a patient in a human capacity to get her ID, and that was a reason, one of the reasons that they cited that well, you were bad. Another, another reason is that I had, and I had to figure out what this one meant, that I had offended people in September, that I had been offensive in September. And at first I couldn't, I didn't know what it meant, and I just folded the letter up, but I figured out that what it was, was that I had sent an email out to the clinic staff explaining my reasons for, you know, not accepting the vaccine. And I had sent emails out to the staff from time to time about the vegetable garden that I grew for the clinic, you know, and it was pleasant and lighthearted, but I just did it with this to explain my reasons that I saw that this was depersonalizing people and 
that when you depersonalize a group of people, it leads into something like the Holocaust, which I said, and I said that I need to, and I put it in these words, I need to stand naked with the Jews because of what is happening. And people took offense. And so I can understand people taking offense, but you would only take offense if you were denying the importance of what was happening to dehumanize the, the people who would refuse the vaccine and talk about putting them in concentration camps, which has been talked about. But to me, it was all in, in all seriousness. I was not being trivial, but some people were offended. And so that was a thing listed. Well, the whole topic of being offended is a, a, another another conversation. I mean, people are I believe very strongly that people are purposely just helped off their axis. They're helped to not even think because this state of being perpetually triggered, it's not good for the people offended either. It's not good for them primarily. It's also not good for the general common sense around us. But it's preventing us from having necessary conversations as a society because, well, for my job, I can't look at that, so I don't look at that. Or I don't want to offend somebody, so we won't talk about this. And so for the people who are in power, if they can keep people at odds with each other and not talking about the common problems that the people have, then, of course, it's the whole divide and conquer that Gosh, as long as there's been written history, it seems that that's been used to keep the powerful people over the, the people who are fighting each other rather than working together. Well, sadly, sadly, I have to agree. So eventually they fired you for cause, whatever they made up. And, and that, was, that, was, that was it. You decided not to sue them, not to, not to fight for it, no, right? No, it's... it's my heart says not to do that. There are a lot of things I need to do. And in a way, I felt that I had gotten somewhat of a, a victory in the way that the firing happened. Because you see, I was making this vegetable garden and it was mid-October. So on a, I wasn't scheduled to work on Monday. So Monday morning, I, I went in and I had bought a bunch of winter vegetables because it's Texas and you can grow vegetables in the winter and I was putting them in and I was putting in a fruit tree and my my cell phone my little flip phone went off and it was the fellow from uh, human resources and he was trying to explain to me that they were firing me effective last Friday which was two weeks early so they had given me the letter that said I would be fired at the end of October and then he was trying to say, well, you're fired actually two weeks early as a surprise. And I said, well, I tell you, I haven't talking about this. Just come down to the garden and talk to me. He said, well, you're here? <laughs> and they had been trying to make it like invisible to everybody in a secret. But I'd gone out to the garden in my gardening clothes and I was planting vegetables and I, I kept doing it. And then I said, well, you know, let me just get the, it'll take me five minutes. I'll have everything out of my desk. And 
And so I went in in my gardening clothes and got everything off my desk. So my coworkers saw that I had been fired, you know, while planting the vegetable garden instead of this whole invisible, not seen, in, you know, black box thing that they wanted to do. So I, I felt that I, that was the best it could be. And so the, the blog post from my old blog on that one, johndayblog.com, is go down gardening. And so that one's from mid-October. And tell us the story that I just told. <laughs> well, I mean, there's there's something to that story. But then so your colleagues, they did you talk to people? Did, did they feel like secretly that there was injustice, but they didn't say anything? Or did anybody try to fight for you? So how did that go? Well, certainly, I mean, the, the nursing staff, have, they were always appreciative of everything I did because if, I was on and some patient really needed something, I would make sure that it happened. And so, of course, the nurses really appreciate that. And they could see that the people were getting better with treatment. Um, but in terms of there being, you know, some avenue to like petition for me within it, there's the decisions are made up in the board where you never see um, there was one board member, a cardiologist, that I'd been telling about the ivermectin, you know, from 2020, and I'd given him a lot of printed information about how well it was doing. And so after something like late August or early September, he would come in sometimes as a cardiologist in the clinic, and he would never meet my eyes anymore after that. And he was on the board, so I knew that he just couldn't meet my eyes after what the board had decided. Wow. Again, not a bad person. I, I like the, I like the man. Nice fellow. So that, the, that's abuse. That is multi-directional abuse because the people who are made into cowards, I mean, they participate in the process. Somebody creates a situation, an external force creates a situation that makes it initially easier for them to be a coward they for for whatever reason internal reason maybe weakness maybe confusion maybe something else they decide that they don't have the power to stand up but then they suffer and i remember well a story that that i learned as a teenager that, so supposedly they were doing that during the early soviet times where so a commissar would come or a bunch of commissars would come into the village and they would select in the winter and uh, so they would select some, say, dissident, dissident families. So they would force them to just go out in the winter and very, very cold winter. So force them out of their house, which would mean they would die because it was really brutally cold. They, so the entire family, kids and elders and everybody. But then if anybody in the village said something in their defense, they would share their fate. So for anybody to speak up, even if they thought it was atrocious and cruel and horrible, it would mean that their children or elder parents would die. So people would probably, probably a number of people would not make the choice simply because, well, making a decision that would kill your child, that's a tough one. That's, that's tougher than even having somebody fired or something like that, right? So, but then they would have to live with that burden on their soul that they allowed a horrible injustice and the choice was impossible it was choosing between two really bad things 
And this is kind of a way of mob spirit breaking, right? They would make somebody participate in something completely atrocious. They would so that the person would no longer like themselves in the in the normal way. And and this is such a horrible abusive in every in every in every way. But I must say, of course, in this situation, they were not choosing between standing up for you and their children dying. It was a different, it was a lighter choice. So I would say it would have been normal and ethical to stand up for you. But yeah, know. it's hard to say, but when I've had a chance to look at this, the reason that I was able to spot it so early is that when we traveled with our, our children, the children were teenagers, and my wife and I had a dream to travel around the world for nine months with backpacks and bicycles with our children when they became old enough. And so we held to this dream. And so we visited the Anne Frank house uh, in Amsterdam and we visited Dachau um, uh, prison camp and concentration camp in Germany. And then we visited the Toll Sling Museum in Cambodia, you know, the killing fields. and. The question was, you know, how can you tell when something like this is going to happen in history? Because these weren't monsters. These were ordinary people who did this to other ordinary people every time. And so the, I, I couldn't say at the time what it was. But then when I saw that they were dehumanizing people who wouldn't take the coronavirus vaccines, I said, this is it. This is that sign. They're dehumanizing the people. This is that thing happening. And now I have to act immediately. I, I hear you. I mean, like, I became outspoken early on in April 2020 for the same reason, because everything was just so weird. And, and I thought, okay, so maybe it's not bad yet, but what if in the early stages of every big atrocity, there's this phase where it's kind of gray zone and the lines are blurry and it's not... Like you can't really tell what's happening, but there's something ominous in the air, but you, you're not sure. But maybe that is a time when one got to speak up. Because if that doesn't happen, yeah. then it goes, it goes in an entirely bad direction, potentially. And there were a lot of, a lot of us, though, is like a, not a large proportion of, you know, people in medicine, for instance. But I remember, uh, the, a lot of the nurses from the Methodist Hospital in Houston refused the vaccine, COVID vaccines, and were fired. And for all the people who took one little step that wasn't quite right, and another little step that was a little more wrong, and another little step that was a little more wrong, I can see how that happens. And we've all done things like that to, to do something that wasn't really wrong, but you know that this other thing would be better. But in this situation, it was pushing them to become hardened against the truth. But they didn't know. They weren't prepared. And they found themselves painted into a corner in a way. Yeah, this is all so complex and so simple at the same time. It's like it is simple if you really listen to your heart and believe, believe that feeling that you have. Then it's simple. If you allow the brain to talk over the heart, then forget it. It's the brain is very, very skilled at talking over the heart. I I had another advantage that I I felt for a long time that 
one of these periods of breaking and transitioning like the Great Depression, World War II, would, would come just because of what I would see with the economy and with the you know fossil fuels getting more expensive and there being a limit on them and what I had learned about the economy and that like World War II really was sort of, it was a horrible war, but it was done largely for economic reasons. So there's all these things and you go, wait, this is, how could it be this simple that such a horrible thing would happen because of like coal or oil? But it did. Um, and maybe, no, I know people would disagree with that assessment, but I've looked at a lot of different assessments and it's like these basic economic ones are always so compelling. Well, the wars mostly are done for, you know, to steal and to rob and to, I mean, that's the basic thing. I think, well, people have always fought for, for land and spouses and such. Then at some point, people decided to attach a lofty words to their conquests, which was a genius PR move. The brain is very crafty. Brain is good at attaching ideas and talking over basics. And so, so you no longer work as a doctor. So I know that you're building your house and you're gardening and you're joining vastly and you're also blogging. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Well, yeah. So I'm, um, for a long time, oh, decades, I had sort of a dream to, you know, design and build my own house. Well, I think many people have that kind of an idea. And I remember when I was a boy and my uncle was finishing out the inside of his house and how cool I thought that was. But um, I had some retirement with the clinic, which, oh, it ended up being after taxes, $50,000. But in my mind, it always set that to be to start to build the house. And we have a place out oh, two hours from Austin in rural Texas, and it's sort of at the edge of town. But I'm sitting here in the kind of living dining room area, and you see there's an oak floor, and there's some nice plywood walls, and then there's the kitchen over there. And all of the internal woodwork and putting in the floor are things that, that I've done. And uh, it's a... It's a it's more work than it looks like, but I'm, I'm kind of proud of it. And I put in all the kitchen counters and the sinks and, and I built the this, this staircase and uh, I put in, we have sort of an upstairs too, that's like a finished out attic and I've. But it um, looks beautiful. Well, thank you. And so I, I put in all of the insulation and I, I did a good job with it. And the, you know, the workers, some, I have them come back like I didn't do the sheetrock myself. Um, and they would joke, hey, John, can I get you to uh, put my insulation in for me? Because it took me forever and I did such a careful job. Nobody puts in insulation as carefully as I did, but it's well insulated. It's really well insulated. <laughs> well, I, I think it is fair and just that you are very much enjoying yourself, even though injustice has been done to you and uh, well that part is fair what's happening with the world like is it's about me i don't feel like it's about me because i i've sort of felt for a long time that something 
would happen and that I needed to prepare, but I see that I, I will still need to help people. And I, I don't, I didn't lose my responsibility to help people. And, and it may be that I'm going to be able to start back to work as a doctor. Um, there are, you know, things lined up that are, that may be helpful in that way. They may go that way. There's something that is going in that direction. But of course, politically these days, even in Texas, there's a lot of blocks that are put up. So it's not hopeless there, but still, I see whatever I can discern that's happening in the world and that I can, you know, share it with people. It's my responsibility. Well, what's happening with the world? I mean, no words really describe it because it is so weird and so big and so, so strange. And but so, and people have been, again, since the beginning of this whole abusive COVID era, people have been tricked and coerced and lured into betraying themselves to the extent where I think a lot of people, it's, it's very hard to go back and say, oh, and by the way, I was completely wrong and, and also did things that were not right. That, that gives a great emotional relief in the end, because if somebody has the balls to go through that, if somebody really has the spirit to go through that, then in the end, it's like a pure, it's like a cleanse in a good way. But it takes courage to allow those two parts of you talk to each other. And, and so many people are almost now in the position to keep doubling down and defending the things just because they either admit that they did something very wrong or they have to create an illusional world where it was not wrong and so people choose differently it seems like that if you've made a really bad mistake and someone was harmed that it's even harder to admit that mistake than if you just made a an ordinary mistake that someone wasn't harmed you become invested in like oh i couldn't have done something so wrong therefore it can't be true I think this happens in people. I think so. And, and and again, good people, not not they're good people. And and the brain, and I know that, I mean, I've been raised in the same culture, not American culture, but the same general Western, like Western culture. And the brain is so good at crafting narratives. Like I believe very strongly that the sensory foundation is the foundation that's what actually that what comes first and then from there people come up with all sorts of ideas and fancy words and theories and intellectual constructs to explain away whatever the sensory foundation tells them and but then we are smart people we're modern people where you know we are educated people we can come up with all the fancy words to explain away anything really and i mean really that intellectual exercise where you can decide that you want to prove this or then you can prove the opposite i think that's what they do in law schools from what i hear you can actually like switch sides and still prove it with your smart brain and i think it's very important to not allow your own brain deceive you in that in that situation because brains are good they're very they're very capable and so the the suffering that people have 
in admitting that they've done something horrible or wrong is cognitive dissonance. It's when our ideas of ourselves are, are fighting with some fact and the feeling of cognitive dissonance, this fight within yourself, I was right, I was wrong, I was right, I was wrong, is, is painful and people work hard to avoid that. And sometimes people will avoid cognitive dissonance by denying that a threat exists and then the threat will kill them. I mean, that's an extreme example, but it happens. And so I think that as we've all been led by this series of little slightly wrong steps into a situation of having denied people their human rights and, you know, given vaccine products that have clearly killed children and caused heart attacks and, and you know, elite athletes and so on and strokes, that the tendency is to avoid cognitive dissonance by just denying it harder. But I see that that's not universal in what we see around us now. There are a lot of people who never really willingly pushed it or never themselves wanted anyone to go to a concentration camp for not being vaccinated. And so there's there are some people who really pushed hard, and I think that they have to stay in denial, but a lot of people didn't push hard. They were just sort of pushed, and they're, they're feeling like, we don't want this anymore. Um, and I think that some people who saw the principle of it, like the nurses in Houston at the Methodist Hospital, myself, some others, who said, no, I'll, I'll stand naked with the Jews on this one. Um, you know, maybe it wasn't very much noticed at the time, but I don't know. You know, I think that those kinds of actions, my actions certainly had a difference for me, and I think they may have had some difference for some few other people too. I, but I knew that I had to do that. I think this society, the U.S., is in different fragments of so New York, California, um, Texas, not the same. But it, there hasn't been sort of enough of a, a consensus to be able to dehumanize people who didn't get the vaccines to create that kind of, a, well, I'll say a fascist situation where, where everybody gets on this one side and dehumanizes the other people. It didn't work this time. It's not completely dead, but I don't think it it worked either. Well, New York has been pretty bad, where a lot of people you know, almost universally, at least outwardly, decided that mandates are good, people who don't take the, the shot are irresponsible and horrible human beings are not worthy. And so it's been tough here from that perspective. I think a lot of people are changing their mind right now and thinking, wait a second, maybe that wasn't quite right. But yeah, I think the differences within the United States are probably vast. Uh, like I'm sure New York and Texas feel very differently. But Austin, Austin and Yoakum. So here I am in a town of 6,000 people, rural Texas. And, and Austin is very much a compliance, you know, hub. So it's, it's the, it's, 
Texas government and then all of the Silicon Hills, they call it. And everyone is, you know, being very careful and complying. And so the attitudes in Austin have been quite different, but also the attitudes in Austin between many of my patients were uh, working people who came from Mexico or either far, even farther south from that. And their attitude was very practical. But then people who work in high tech and so on would be working from home with masks on in their computers. And so there are different populations. But when I would come out to Yoakum, I would, you know, it's a oh, about a hundred mile drive. And I would see along the way, oh, how many people are wearing masks in the grocery stores? How do people act in the stores? And it was really quite different among the different groups of people like the high tech and government and technical and supervisory people in Austin, very much online with it. But other people like, no, nah, not so much caring and just um, not really being so afraid out in the country either. Well, I mean, the, 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 the latter is good to hear, but I want to once again express big gratitude for your courage and for your work and for, for your choices throughout all this. Now, I know that now you have a sub stack. So where, where can people find you? Oh, so um, drjohnsblog.substack.com, D-R-J-O-H-N-S-B-L-O-G.substack.com. And the reason I started that up early this year was that the Google blog that I've had since spring of 2016, you know, started censoring us. In fact, they took down our Gmail and my blog all at once one day. And so I started a uh, Substack blog at that time. And I, I keep the two both going. So my original Google blog was uh, www.johndayblog.com, J-O-H-N-D-A-Y-B-L-O-G.com. And so that has the Go Down Gardening from October of um, last year, 2021. Oh, thank you. And uh, is there anything that you want to say before we wrap up? Um, follow your heart. Same thing you say. Same thing you say. Well, thank you, John. Thank, Thank you. you for being you. Thank, Thank you. you, sister. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.